Have you ever heard of a mansion in the hills of the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles where, after a murder-suicide, it sat abandoned for over 50 years? The mansion is steeped in rumor, legend, and lore. But there's so much more than meets the eye. Three other deaths occurred in the mansion before an infamous murder-suicide in 1959. What makes this house so mysterious? Is this place genuinely haunted, or is there something far worse? Welcome to a special episode of Nightmare Houses, a bizarre house that is divided into two episodes. Part 1 looks at the original owners and the property's early history leading up to that infamous family. Part 2 will cover the murder-suicide and the aftermath of the property. Harry Frederick Schumacher was born in Kansas on September 14, 1886. He grew up in Kansas, seemingly upper middle class, and was one of several children. He became a broker in the wholesale produce industry, eventually becoming a manager at the Pacific Fruit and Produce Company and moving to Everett, Washington sometime after the turn of the century. On October 14, 1906, he married Florence Marie Potter in Sonomish, Washington when they were both about 20 years old. At the time, he worked as a produce clerk while she was working as a telephone operator. The couple lived in Everett, Washington until the early 1920s. In 1922, Florence's sister passed away, leaving her young daughter, Hazel. Hazel was born in 1910 and was about 13 years old when she came to live with her aunt and uncle. The Schumachers eventually adopted Hazel, and she would live with them when they moved to Southern California. Schumacher had established his produce wholesaler, Schumacher Distributing Company, by the time he was in his mid-thirties. Schumacher had made a fortune in the wholesale fruits and vegetable industry, and Los Angeles was one of the hottest places to live at the time. Many parcels in the Hollywood Hills were purchased by wealthy couples new to town and had their dream home built on the site, and that is precisely what Harry and Florence Schumacher did. The couple purchased two parcels high up on a steep hilltop in the hot new neighborhood of Los Feliz Heights. The lots were advertised as high-priced due to the height of the land. The Schumachers hired Harry E. Warner as the architect. Warner was known in the Hollywood Hills for his Spanish-style revival homes, which were very popular in Southern California in the 1920s. The permits for the sizable 5,050-square-foot dwelling were made in February 1925. Reported to be a 10-room, two-story residence at the cost of $21,000, and the local contractor was Fred C. Snell. It's unclear how much the new owners played a role in the design, but some oddly specific design ideas seemed awkward to include. The design consists of Spanish and Italian architectural influences seen with the flat roof lines and overhanging eaves on the second story. The residence sits atop the steep hill at the end of a cul-de-sac. The property included a three-car garage at street level and initially did not appear to have a driveway. Because of the steep location, the property has striking views of downtown Los Angeles, but it also includes a 51 concrete step walkway up to the front door. The residence facade is white stucco with flat and gable red tile roof lines. The most notable features of the design are the large arching windows, prominent entryway, and asymmetrical balconies. There is a prominent narrow, two-story arching window that appears to be a yellow stained glass color. 
The staircase leading up to the third floor cuts diagonally across this window and seems awkward or unsettling due to the asymmetry. Features include a grand entrance with a step-down living room with serene views, a formal dining room, a library and study, a large entertainer kitchen, and custom built-ins. Instead of an attic, the third floor had a ballroom, complete with a bar. The home also included a servant's quarters on the lower level. Electricity was still considered a luxury in the 1920s, especially in a large home. Having huge windows and being high up would easily allow outsiders to see in at night. Built during Prohibition, it was interesting the Schumachers chose to include a speakeasy within their home. Perhaps they planned on using the residence as a place to entertain and party. A piano with a stool and a phonograph in the third floor ballroom indicated they might have liked to do that. The couple, along with Hazel, appears to have lived there undisturbed for about three years. If they did have parties and events, they went unreported. Then, on May 2nd, 1928, a little over three years after constructing the mansion, it was listed for sale. Perhaps living in Los Feliz Heights was not what the couple desired after all or the inconvenient layout of the home was just too much. The description listed the property as a luxurious 11-room Italian-designed home on three-quarters acre of landscaped grounds, large rooms, a ballroom, five bedrooms, and four baths. However, the Schumachers would never sell their property. On July 1, 1928, Florence died in the house, reportedly of kidney failure and a bacterial heart infection. A doctor came to see Mrs. Schumacher four days earlier when she fell ill, but she never recovered. She died at 1.10 p.m., presumably in the primary bedroom. She was 41 years old. Tragically, just four days after his wife's death, Harry Schumacher also fell ill precisely 27 days after his wife on July 28, 1928. He also died in the house at around 9.40 a.m. His cause of death was bronchopneumonia. He was just a few months shy of his 41st birthday. Both deaths were sudden and unexpected. Hazel, Florence's adopted niece, was still a teenager when her adoptive parents, an aunt and uncle, died. She was supposed to inherit a large portion of the estate when she had turned 20 years old. However, she got married and was denied her inheritance since the marriage was not approved. Shortly after losing the inheritance in 1932, she lost her baby girl at 11 months of unknown causes. What happened following the deaths of the Schumachers will become a common theme throughout the history of the home and seal the property's fate as being cursed. In August 1928, Schumacher's estate was split up and Harry's brother Orlando became the administrator of the estate. He was responsible for selling or maintaining the home at 2475 Glendower Place. In the immediate aftermath of the death of Harry Schumacher, the house sat vacant for at least a month while courts sorted out the estate. The home was left vacant and unoccupied and contained valuable furniture, rugs, decor, and many other expensive personal items. Courts determined a caretaker needed to occupy and keep up the property and rent or sell the estate, and the task fell to Harry's older brother Orlando. The home had been broken into following the deaths, and some items were stolen from the house. 
Orlando attempted to sell the property at first, listing it with over 15 agents, but to no avail. The property ended up being quite a task for Orlando Schumacher, and in 1929, the property needed extensive repairs. These repairs included upgrading issues with the electrical system in 1929 and 1930. The furnace and the cement stairs in the basement had problems. There were also extensive plumbing and possible drainage issues within the home. One legal document stated, Inherent problems in the plumbing. Orlando and his family, wife Nellie, and a young son moved into the residence, but only lived there nine months. Nellie did not like living there and insisted on leaving. By May 1929, the family had moved out. According to her, the odd layout and the steep stairway to the entrance made the place undesirable. In addition, their child also fell ill while assisting with cleaning the property, and their doctor indicated it might be the house causing the sickness. It was never clear what the sickness was. Nellie herself would die at age 49 on March 5, 1933, just a few years later. The court records noted that the home was inconveniently located between the steps and the garage on the property's base. After his family left, Orlando stayed on as a caretaker at the residence long enough to line up a few renters. Overall, the mansion may not have been built well, thus the issues. Perhaps because it was on such a steep grade that exacerbated the problems. Either way, Orlando was now stuck with his deceased brother's undesirable house and was not having much luck with it. In 1929, Orlando finally found some renters. The first was German film director Fred Selznick and his wife. They had a one-year lease from November 1929 to November 1930. The couple lived there with a chauffeur and their cook when they first came to Hollywood. But the couple didn't stay there the entire year. In August 1930, they broke their lease to move back to Germany for Selznick's career. The next renters of the property were Welford Beaton and his family who signed a lease starting August 1930. Beaton was a writer for his film magazine, The Film Spectator, and his son Donald was an editor. Tragically, on May 3, 1931, Donald died at 2475 Glendower Place, just a few months shy of his 21st birthday. The cause of death was complications from an old blister known as sporotrichosis, a fungal infection caused several years earlier. In July 1931, the lease with Beaton ended. The final renters of the property were famous English actor George Arliss and his wife. Arliss rented the property between December 1931 and December 1932. A heavy rainstorm in 1932 caused damage to the property again, summoning Orlando to make necessary repairs. Ultimately, George Arliss would help Orlando sell the property in 1932 as it was advertised as his residence in the listing. The whole time, the property remained furnished with the Schumacher's property. Overall, Orlando took nearly four years to settle his brother's estate. Finally, in December 1932, John Stafford Jr. and his wife bought the property. He was a noted philanthropist in the Los Angeles area and owned many homes, not just the one at Glendower. He and his wife were active in the charitable community, and they often hosted fundraisers and events. They reportedly used the home for events in 1935 and 1937. 
1941, they made much-needed improvements, including adding or expanding the driveway to the top of the hill and adding a new garage at the top behind the residence. They owned the Los Feliz mansion for over 32 years, but it never seemed to be their primary residence. While they had multiple homes, they appeared to spend most of their time in Palm Springs. They didn't eliminate the need for the 51 steps, but they did make it more convenient to access the home. It's unclear exactly how much time the Stoffers lived in and used the home, but by the 1950s, the couple was ready to downsize. Instead of selling the home, the Stoffers chose to leave it as a charitable gift to Whittier College in 1954. It doesn't appear that the college used the house, and by that time, it needed extensive repairs. In 1956, the college underwent financial issues and sold the estate at a bargain price. Dr. and Mrs. Harold Pearlson and family were next to live in the home. What would happen just a few years later, and beyond, would propel the home into legend forever. Like the Schumachers, the Pearlsons would only live there for less than three years before meeting a gruesome fate at 2475 Glendower Place. Stay tuned for the follow-up episode where we will discuss the absolute nightmare at 2475 Glendower Place. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Houses. For more information, including photos and references, please visit www.nightmarehouses.com. Until next time, goodbye.